0: Alrighty, welcome once again to the Artist Emotion Motion Podcast. Today on the show, we've got a dude who I really look up to, both as a friend, as an advisor in the arts. He's trained with some fantastic people and holds dual advanced degrees in healing methodologies. He's got a line of self-help products and programs coming out here very soon, and he's passionate about helping people live a better life. I'm stoked he spent some of his time talking with us for this show. Without any more jabbering on my part, I give you Dr. David Crouch and I for about the next hour or so. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our show today. So my guest today I met originally through Kempo Talk, which was a online website and Marshall Talk, which was the companion site formerly run by Bob Hubbard. Uh, great set of websites. Met him in person in 2006 after talking online for a while at a uh, teacher of ours out in Torrance. Uh, then about 2011-2012, for whatever reason, the stars aligned. And I started speaking with him much more frequently, and today we're working on several projects together, which is a pretty cool opportunity. So, he is an mm-hmm. NLP master trainer and practitioner. He holds dual doctorate degrees in chiropractic and psychology. He's a holder of advanced degrees in multiple styles of martial arts, as well as a holder of multiple different shot glasses, depending on what he's having that night. Much like another buddy <laughs> mine is never late for a drink. This guy answers to many different names, but never late for dinner. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. David Crouch. Yeah, Hamstring. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you today?
1: Pretty good. Thank you for having me.
0: So I gave a little minor part of your biography there. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Oh, geez. Well, I haven't, I haven't had much of a life outside of being a student of the martial arts and of, of things that have interested me, um, but it gave me a chance to learn a lot. Um, presently, I'm working on a couple of books and training series on video, and uh, that's about it. Not nearly as much as I'd like to hope. Well,
0: what, are, what areas of uh, uh, video are you working on currently?
1: But, no, sorry. Um, principally what I'm working on is how to apply neurolinguistic programming and hypnosis to the martial arts. Um, starting first with Kempo, and from there I'll branch out more generally to other arts and to just you know kind of physical performance endeavors in general. Um, but initially I'm starting off with NLP and hypnosis in Kempo. Um, it's a project that's been near and dear to me for a very long time. I've had a chance to consult with some of my personal heroes over the years, um, interview them and and run ideas past them or through them as it were, and kind of see where the results took them. And I'm sort of interested in seeing where the Kenpo community can go next in developing their personal skill and athletic performance excellence if they have a different set of tools and skills to work with to get them to a different point of reference, if that makes sense.
0: Okay, so let's, I think the natural question off of that then is can you give us the small version of what NLP actually is?
1: NLP, they've, they've defined it as the study of the structure of subjective experience, which is a neat phrase, but it tends not to mean much of anything to most people. Um, NLP is kind of a subset in psychology that specializes in how people communicate within themselves to create attitudes that lead to actions and outcomes. Um, so, you know, what do you say to yourself and how that causes you to be experience a certain state? And there's this notion that your performance, your abilities, your decisions, all of these things are state dependent. And if the results you're getting aren't the results you want, the first thing you have to do is change your state. If you want to change your state, you have to change what you're doing inside your head, sort of how you're communicating to yourself, the pictures you're making, the things you say to yourself, what you feel and where you feel it. All of these components of interrupt personal communication dictate our state and then our performance. Um, So, if you want to improve, you know, if you're a baseball player, if you're a Kenpo practitioner, whatever you are, if you want to improve your performance, you have to improve your state. If you want to improve your state, you change your interpersonal communication.
0: So, that's what you're literally telling yourself and how that relates to what your performance is outside.
1: Correct. And it can be not just what you're saying verbally. A lot of people think, well, they're just referring to internal dialogue. Um, No, it's also the kind of images you make in your mind. Um, Every starting point, all the beliefs that we have about performance, what we can or cannot do, uh, has an initial point of reference. And when they, we move that point of reference, kind of like moving where the laser dot is on the chalkboard, it changes all of the different mental files we have access to, and those mental files are filled with what we can or cannot do. Um, typically, if people say, gosh, I can't do that, you, the answer, well, yeah, you're right, you can't. But if they say, I can. Well, you're right, you can. Now you just have to figure out how. Right? But the initial starting point has to shift before the performance can shift. Um, a common example is you know the whole four-minute mile. For years, nobody beat it, and they thought it was physically impossible. Then once the first guy beat the four-minute mile, a bunch of other people tumbled past it as well. It was just a mental barrier. Once they shifted that initial reference point from the four-mile can't be beat to the four-minute mile can be beat, a whole bunch of people started beating it right and left. Um, they just had to shift that initial reference. They had to move that laser dot to some other point on the chalkboard, and then they were able to tap into a bunch of different capabilities – that they had not experienced before. This shifted their performance and it made it possible for them to do things that they had previously thought impossible. And you can imagine if you take that to the martial arts, people will hit plateaus, a training plateau. Probably the easiest way to describe what I do is to say, you hit a training plateau, how do you get out? What specifically can you do in your mind that will influence your body and move you well beyond a training plateau and into new territory?
0: I think that's going to be a wonderful series of videos to get done. How far along in the video process are you for that specific
1: piece of it? Um, not as far as I'd like, but further than I planned. So that's good.
0: <laughs> that's, that's kind of like measuring it on the quantum scale, isn't it? <laughs> a there's little a, bit. There's a sci-fi <laughs> joke for anybody who's a sci-fi fan who's listening. So <laughs> <laughs> made myself laugh at that one. But so about... <laughs> uh, your website is neurologics.com. And that's dot xcom Correct. Uh, cheap plug for you there. We're going to Thank talk you. a little bit about that later on, but I wanted to talk to Bases on just one piece on there. Your biography on there, you, you mentioned you're an active neurohacker. I like that oh, term, yeah. so let's let's explore that just a minute here. What, is, what does that mean, neurohacking?
1: Neurohacking is a subset, again, of what is typically called biohacking. So the, the biohacker and neurohacker are, philosophy is that we're capable of so much more than we've ever imagined. We just haven't broken into that territory yet because we haven't been managing our our bodies, our our physicality, and our thinking right. So a biohacker might say, you know, I I think I can get more done and, and improve my endurance, improve my workout. So they're going to start structuring their sleeping schedules and their, their food intake and all these things around breaking new ground in those arenas. So neurohacking, if I say, you know, the brain and nervous system govern every aspect of the body and performance, physiology and health, right? And if I want to improve my performance, if I want to improve my physiology, if I want to improve my health, then I have to find a way to tap into the supercomputer that is the brain, hack what is possible for it, and then implant the virus that's going to drive me into new territory, it's going to take me to places I haven't been yet.
0: Yeah, I think um, so there was, was a movie that sort of, was talking about this. Wasn't that called The
1: Matrix? Probably, right? Um, they, you know, they had the whole notion of it being a machine. And from an NLP perspective or hypnosis perspective, neurohacking would be attitudinal shifts, either by changing where you put your attention and your focus or by and, and then supporting that nutritionally and activity. There's a, a discipline called functional medicine. And functional medicine, we say, you know, your health, your performance is ultimately is the result of the foods we eat, the thoughts we think, and the exercise we give our bodies, or the motion that we give our bodies. So if we're going to apply that to neurohacking, we say, foods we eat, some foods are going to superpower the nervous system, others are going to dumb it down, right? The thoughts we think, we know there are mindfulness. and 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 being mentally present sort of exercises we can do that will potentiate the ability to think more creatively and more freely do we do them (laughs) not everybody does right and the the motion that we give our body um, in functional neurology how we move is used both to diagnose and treat anything from movement disorders to neurobiological syndromes like adhd and autism so there's this notion that we can access corners of the brain that have gotten dusty by changing how we move right and if we were to apply that to something like kenpo then that would change the warm-up sequence instead of just doing jumping jacks and push-ups and setups and this sort of thing the warm-up portion of the class we would add motions that kind of kick start i always picture like trying to start an old motorcycle that's been in the garage for a while right and these movements that can kind of kick start these back corners of the mind which once activated can help the athlete access new territory in their performance and just keep breaking from new territory, new territory, new territory. So each plateau, instead of being something that we move into for a while, just becomes a a road marker in the journey. Yep, I was here, now I'm not. And if we could make that change every workout instead of every year or every couple of years, then we can start driving tempo performance to levels that we've never seen before. And I think that would be a pretty amazing way to set us apart from any other martial art, as well as to set us apart from ourselves.
0: I'm really looking forward That'd to seeing sense. what you come up with for that kind of stuff because that, that's—I think you're absolutely right. That's that's an untapped area of potential for us. So let yeah. me back up just a wee bit. Uh, we know, obviously, you're heavily involved in Kepo. I know how. I know also that you've had several uh, experience in the past with, uh, or ex- extensive experience in the past with, with other systems and styles as well. So can we? get a little bit on your martial arts background. We don't you know, necessarily need to go into every single teacher, every single piece, obviously, but you know, let, let, give me this a short version.
1: I've had a lot of fun in Kung Fu, particularly Ten Shan. I've had a lot of fun in Eskrima, I've had a lot of fun in Judo, a lot of fun in Japanese Jiu-Jitsu and in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I think those all make great adjuncts to tempo training, not as in a fill in the blank way. But, like, if you ever really get into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you start learning to move your body differently, kind of engaging your core as you move or before you move in a way that you're not really taught to in just straight, you know, straight barrel tempo. Um And, I like, after I was in Brazilian jiu-jitsu for about six months, I started opening doors differently. I started getting my butt in and out of the car differently. It just changed a little bit of, of all of how I moved. Same thing with kung fu, strength of my legs, my core, um created a better sense of movement around the periphery of my center that I, I hadn't had prior to that. Um, and I suppose all of these things are, are available anywhere, but I, I, it helped me to find these by going into other systems. Um, I, I think there's a lot to be said for cross-training. I think it, again, opens up new parts of, of the brain, and by opening new parts of the brain, we open up to new capabilities. You come back to Kenpo with a different set of glasses on you start seeing new potentials buried within the system that you might not have seen before.
0: Okay, so obviously Kempo is your your biggest passion from the martial arts, obviously. So mm-hmm. where have you been in the Kempo
1: world? Some great places, some not-so-great places, you know. Um, among the great places I'd count, I, I had a chance to start in some spots. I started off as a kid in Hawaii, and I started off in some Hawaiian Kempo locations. I started off in a Japanese Kempo location in, a, in kind of a cultural center in Waianae. Um, when I moved here stateside I started at Bob Perry's in the Garden Grove studio and after several years of Bob Perry moved over to another gentleman named Mike Sampson after training with Mike for about 14-15 years while co-training with other people in other arts um, I studied for a while with Bob White and would go train there for a bit he introduced me to Mr. Parker I got to interview Mr. Parker a couple of times and then uh many years after his passing i got to interface with doc chappelle and become a student of his and i think my favorite part of that was a lot of the (laughs) suspicions that i'd had about mechanics and performance and how to apply functional biomechanics to kenpo as a martial art were confirmed in his teaching um i really enjoyed kind of delving into that part um I've also trained in some places that were just bloody awful, but sometimes it's all that's available, so you go in there and work out. You know,
0: at the uh, very least, you got to let work too out, much out of, of it. Rub
1: off on you. Oh. Exactly, exactly. You try not to let too much of it rub off on you, but you know, <laughs> you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. So.
0: Okay, uh. so you had the opportunity to interview Mr. Parker. I'm assuming that interviews must have had something to do with what you were working on uh, on the neurohacking site. Is that accurate?
1: That is accurate. Oh, goody, goody, goody. you
0: got to tell us about that.
1: (laughs) Okay, I will. Um, NLP started off as this this notion of saying, in the same way you can write computer programs in code, if we can crack the code of the way the brain and the body work together to write programs of human performance, then we can crack someone else's performance, figure out what code they're using to be amazing at something, and then take that program, stick it on a disk, so to speak, and go put it in somebody else. So we can find an amazing golf player, model the specific sequences he goes in both internally and externally that make him a a great golfer, and then package that. We can then turn around and install that skill set, that strategy, that syntax into another person and get a novice or near novice to start producing the same amazing results. So one of the things they did early on in NLP is they studied a, a gentleman named Dr. Milton Erickson. He was a psychiatrist who had a very unique method of hypnosis. Um, when other people were saying, you know, I'm going to count from 10 down to one, with each number, you're going to go deeper. 1090 is a, it's a very authoritative. Dr. Erickson would just kind of ramble at people and ask them questions and make observations that were, you know, phrased in a puzzling way, and they just sort of drift off into a trance. And they studied the heck out of him because they loved the way he languaged ideas and uh, formed this thing called the Milton Model, which was a condensation of the main. Points, the key core concepts that they had seen in, in Milton Erickson, and that so you, you have the Milton model, and that's kind of like their master's thesis, so to speak, for this this encapsulation of modeling in NLP. And I wanted mine to be the Parker model, right? And Mr. Parker was very interested in things like the superconscious mind and in an altered states of consciousness and how they relate to performance. Um, Mr. White introduced me to him. I didn't get to really hang out with him for about a year later. There's some school requirements that I was working through, but I finally got to get up there and hang out with him and interview him. And the idea was to, to crack Mr. Parker's code. What is it he's doing in his mind that is different from what's going on in everybody else's that's causing him to move the way he moves? And then we can kind of encapsulate that into a, a transferable information packet. And you know, stick it on a disc, go plug it in somebody else. And you you know, some I guess some great information from those interviews. And then uh, when I was overseas in, in Brussels, Belgium, he passed. And I just never really had the chance to finish it. So I just sat on it for years and years and years. And there's two key components that came out of it. One is what you know if we kind of call the Milton Erickson piece, the Milton model. I'd probably call this you know, the, the Parker model. So there's that part that he did. And then there's also the technology of what happens if we ask your mind to imagine a new you 10 years from now Who's 10 years better than you are today? Your brain will fill in the blanks. It'll go, well, I do this differently. I do that differently. So, okay, great, cool. Now open your eyes and start doing those things. And you can effectively collapse time and get your body and your mind to start working together to create new levels of excellence that otherwise would not have been available to you had you not taken the time to consider that option, right? And when we do that as individuals, we get to parse our own brain. Instead of taking someone else's model of performance excellence, we can ask our own brain, picture yourself ten percent, fifteen percent, twenty percent better than you are right now. What's different? You know, if you're gonna be twenty percent better at a jab cross combination, what's different than what you're doing right now? And you have the brain will answer you if you ask it it goes, Well, I'd be doing this. You go, Okay, cool. Open your eyes and do it. Move the way you move. Feel the way you feel. Breathe the way you breathe when you're 15, 20% better. And people are very consistently opening their eyes, engaging the activity, and they're X percent better. You know? um, so that, for me, is, is the big piece is, say, rather than just taking somebody else's floppy drive and putting it in you, why don't we find out what your neurosoma has in mind for yourself, yay, so many years from now? And that's, and, you know, in NLP, they call that timeline or collapsing timelines. You know, if I want to take a picture of you now and I want to take a picture of you five years from now, what are you doing differently five years from now than you are now? We're going to, and then have you step across that time span in your mind to point five years in the future and start moving the way you move five years from now. And we can do this with people relatively quickly and generate some pretty profound results when we get them to engage. I think probably the hardest part consistently is to get people out of their heads and out of their own way. Um, there's a tendency to be self-conscious. And almost always kind of a, I don't know if fear is the right word, but there's apprehension because we go, wait, if, if my ability is this much, the responsibility of my perspective, my expectations, my beliefs, then in how many ways have I been screwing myself for the last (laughs) five, 10, 15, 20 (laughs) years, however long they've been in the martial arts. And that's a a question a lot of people don't want to answer or face. Sort of, there's a tendency for some folk to drag their heels rather than engage in the process.
0: And this is some of the stuff you got to work with Mr. Parker on?
1: Yes, yeah, I, I, I did a timeline journey with him. I said, you know, close your eyes, 20 years in the future, what are you doing different? Even if you've been practicing yay, so many times, thinking about it, mulling things over, watching other people to gather their influences, you've been doing this for 20 more years, what's different? And uh, he, he came out with a whole set of of different answers and different perspectives and different solutions and I think what most people are accustomed to thinking of as being, you know, Parker Kempo, um, you know, that's, that was an amazing and profound insight for him is are you going to have that same insight? Are you going to have that same destination that you go to if we ask your body and mind to do their best for yay so many years? And that's where we go back to the subjective psychology components, to objective. And we say what is it your psyche and your body and your brain? Want to pick out of the future and mark as a, as a new pin in the map, right?
0: And that was back in the 1980s, obviously So uh, I'm assuming there's probably not a whole lot of video available of those t- sessions, right
1: No, I take them, um, but it's just you know, you move so many times and It's been a long time. I wish I had those things. They'd be like gold right now, but I don't <laughs>
0: so. You wake up at 3 a.m. Where did I put those? Oh darn it! That's right. I don't have them.
1: <laughs> oh, you have no idea. You have no idea. I have turned the world upside down and inside out looking for those things, and I, you know I have some suspicions about where they've gone. Um, but it's you know it's conjecture until I find them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> They're in the ether somewhere.
1: Uh, yeah. So.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, you're absolutely right. Those would be gold right about now. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, multiple lineages in Kenpo you've had experience with a whole bunch of different really cool people um, you did some Japanese Kenpo you did uh, various forms of stick fighting you did various forms of judo Jujitsu. Uh, you've got some traditional karate in there at some point too right
1: oh yeah. yeah I think that's necessary everyone everyone should take a traditional Japanese hard style of karate to Learn to embody that level of tension and commitment. Um, I've seen it in a lot of temple people, including myself, where you know we can throw 15 strikes in two seconds, but are they doing anything? Right? Am I actually hitting a guy hard enough to hurt him? And very often the answer is no. You know, I can go and watch people that are of what could be considered like intermediate or advanced rank, blue belt, green belt, brown belt, even black belt level people who are, doing their darndest to whip through a technique and look really good and that one of the tests i run through mentally is could i stand there take those blows and still fight right and the answer comes out to be yes a lot more than i care to admit um and i think the value of, of a hard style background is learning to really dig in bear down and hit hard you know um it's a different set of mechanics it's a different mindset um but i've always thought you know Everybody should go spend a year in Thai boxing. Everybody should go spend two years in a hard style, two years in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and you know, a year or two in Judo, and uh, just kind of get those influences into their tempo because they, they make a difference. When you hit a guy, it should hurt him, right? If you hit a guy five times, it should leave kind of a pile of, of mud where there used to be a human. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think it was Dave Hebbler that said, you know, sometimes he looks at these 27-move-long techniques and goes, that's not a technique. That's a mini form. But more to that point, yeah, you right, did something right. wrong and moved three.
1: Yes, yeah. And if, if the guy's still standing after the first two shots you lose, you know. And <laughs> a fight should should not go more than a couple of seconds in, in Kenpo land. In Kenpo land, a second is a really long time. You know? You should be able to get a lot done in the time it takes to go one thousand one. Right? And it you to go two seconds, one thousand one, one thousand two. But that only counts if the hits count when they make contact. And I think a lot of, of straight Kenpo schools lack the background or experience in either bar brawling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, didn't you do some of that while you were bouncing?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think there's some, some fundamental experiences in hitting hard that if you don't have them in your house. I had my, you know, about a freshman in high school. There was this great big kid that was always picking on everybody. And he came by and he picked on me. And, man, I unleashed on that guy. I whipped him with, like, every movement from five swords. And because we were practicing hitting people in the chest with all five shots, I hit him in the chest with all five shots. And because we were practicing pulling them, I pulled them. And it just really looked like I swatted a lot of bugs on this guy's shirt. And he got all kind of hurt, like, like emotionally. Like, like, dude, why'd you do that, man? You know. And I remember thinking to myself, you shouldn't be asking me that right now. You should be dead. <laughs> but he wasn't. So... I'm not being dead. I went okay. Back to the drawing board. And uh, why did this happen? Hard style location. Start a train.
0: Get that ex- ex- existential happen? question about why did this happen? What is going on?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. With this, I, this guy should be dead and he's not. And I should be standing over a carcass and I'm not. So.
0: Oh, the good part is that you don't wind up in yeah. jail out of it. So you know. That's true. You got to go learn how to really do it later without actually being in that situation. So there you go
1: correct <laughs> and one, one of the things that I, I really liked about bouncing and you know I Perry's was a great school for learning the fundamentals of Kenpo. it didn't put the karate in motion much we had a lot of fun sparring nights but there was a lot of karate in motion going to Bob White's it was all about covering distance landing blows that count landing blows that get in you know so you're not throwing punches at the guy's guard you're throwing punches you're getting past the guard making contact with him and knocking him across the room it was fantastic and when I started bouncing, I met some guys who were kickboxers, so I started joining them for kickboxing class, you know, and we and it just kind of, there was a, a lot of cross-pollination in that context that did a lot of good for helping my tempo. Um And in bouncing, when I had to start clocking someone, it went from that, oh I hit him with a feather, you know, <laughs> <back> <laughs> to thud, you know. Yeah, tickle, thud. tickle. I actually hit him with a, right, tickle, tickle, to the, the thud, I hit him with a brick this time, you know. And it was a learning curve for me, but it was an important learning curve, and I'm glad I did it. I'm super glad I did it um, because it helped me get my head wrapped around what works and what doesn't and how you have to use your body to be effective and efficient. Um, and all of those things I know are there theoretically in Kempo, but theoretical Kempo doesn't help you when you've got a real person, you know, swinging a bar still at your head. Um, yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> do not – I, 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 I
0: always, always tell my guys I, I do not recommend nor endorse nor instruct face block. But every now and then people learn it anyways.
1: Right. <laughs> Whether you need to or not. <laughs>
0: I would much rather you have to have the other person worried about face block and not yourself. But it's uh, yeah. <laughs> part of the game at some point. So yeah. So you grew up in originally was from Hawaii, we said earlier, right? So what, where did, what made yep. you start training martial arts while you were in Hawaii? Because I can't think of a, whole, of a much more cultural hodgepodge place to start. I mean, there's so many different big names and big lineages that came out of Hawaii. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Um, and most of them had to start learning karate because they were involved in, in a lot of fights um, Mine wasn't nearly that glorious. I was involved in getting beat up a lot um, I lived in a, a diverse neighborhood That was pretty blue-collar But it wasn't diverse with a lot of white families or Halle's we were one of only two Holly families there and I was the only Holly kid in my grade and I got beat up a lot you know and, and, had to learn how to sneak home from school, going through places that the Hawaiians wouldn't follow through, so like the Buddhist graveyard and stuff like that. Um, and I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. Every Friday <laughs> was what they call Kill Howley Day, where they find the white kid and beat him up. And so that was me again. And uh, <laughs> so just <this laughs> I just, I got really good at kind of. You know that whole thing where you, you curl up in a ball and cover your head and tuck your knees in and just try to take all the shots on, like, hips, back, arms, shoulders? I got really good at that. Post. Yeah,
0: Wally J used to um, call that the turtle, and then he uh, came up with some really interesting ways to get people out of the turtle.
1: Out of the turtle, yeah. yeah. Here, get one finger. I totally pull my finger with Wally J. That's a painful experience. <laughs> Again, everybody should have once. <laughs>
0: uh, rest, in have peace. rest in peace, Mr. J. But, yes, that uh, I've heard exactly. legendary
1: stories of that. It's excruciating. He'll make you walk up walls and walk on ceilings, anything to make the bad man stop. Seriously. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, I, I started in martial arts because I got tired of getting beaten up, and I, I at least was, wanted to learn how to get my hands up and punch back and kick back. And the first place that I signed up was very traditional, and you're learning these long stances and downward blocks and things like this, that nobody was punching me in the belt knot of the groin or the thigh. They were punching me in the head. Um, and that was where the kempo came in handy. They started studying kempo. they said, no, keep your hands up here. That'll help. You know, um, punch back. Here's how you make a fist. How's he, And it was a very different experience. If you know, if it's down here, you use a uh, horizontal punch. It's up here, you use a vertical. And that created a whole other bag of worms. The, the, the first time I used it, I remember I, there was this couple of kids beat me up. It was the usual kill, kill fight and I punched back on one guy and I blew his nose up. And this is like in the third grade. This is still pretty young.
0: You troublemaker, you.
1: Yeah, uh, and then they, they banded together like a pack of wolves and hunted me all around the campus and I had to go hiding from spot to spot to spot to spot to spot to, spot to get home cause although I could take one there's no way I could take 20 so, <laughs> so I still ended up running home all the time
0: <laughs> well in some ways you it haven't learned fun. yet either have you
1: <laughs> no I'm sorry I no I, I have a tendency to go oh look a dog fight and walk into it so.
0: poke the bear you know
1: <laughs> exactly I'm not always as bright as I'd like to
0: think I am. Oh well. There was a uh, George W. Bush impersonator a while back. and he, he was doing a comedy routine on one of the Comedy Central roasts. And I can't remember exactly which one it was. But the impersonator came out there and he goes, Yeah, you know, some people have said I am not the brightest bulb in a knife drawer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like it.
0: I always like that one. I've
1: always been the bowling ball.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's not the sharpest bowling ball on the block, are
0: you? There you go. Yeah. All right, so out of all of that that, that experience you've had there uh, Who do you think have been the biggest influences on what you're doing now?
1: biggest influence Probably Bob White and Doc and and mr. Parker my, my mr. Parker had an interesting way of uh, in 20 minutes He could blow your mind, right and and Kind of like rip the scales off your eyes. So you saw things through a new lens um, and there's nothing quite like getting thumped around by them um, that will open your eyes as to what, you know, I've I've been doing Kenpo techniques you know, my whole life. And then the first time I dummied for him at a seminar, he's planting his palm heel on my chest and knocking me up and backward. I was like, oh, so that's what it's supposed to do when you hit the other guy, you know. And I had this light bulb go on. And every time I dummied for him, there was just this light bulb, light bulb, light bulb. Like, oh, that's that's what it's supposed to do. Oh, that's what it's supposed to do. And, of course, once you know what the end result is supposed to look like and or feel like, you can go back and retool to generate it, right? But a lot of the empty spaces for me were, how do you do it, right? And in getting together with, with Doc, he goes, well, go like this. Okay, that works. <laughs> I'm really happy about that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been a, a, a pleasant set of combinations for me. Um, I wouldn't have met Mr. Parker if it were not for Mr. White. I wouldn't have put my karate motion if it were not for Mr. White. If it were not for having had the chance to dialogue with Mr. Parker about things in a way that Chappelle would recognize and go, yeah, hey, I've talked to the guy, I wouldn't have had the chance to meet Doc Chappelle either. And so it's just these, you know, and it's been this fantastic cascade of people and events that have brought me to a position where I'm only now starting to feel like I'm not as ridiculous as I was. I don't feel like I'm good. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm worthy. I don't feel like I've got it down. I just feel like maybe I don't suck as much as I used to. Um, and that's well, it might not sound all that impressive to me, but it's monumental for me, you know.
0: <laughs> I have, I've never got a chance to meet Mr. Parker. He was gone before I even really started the martial arts. Um, I know Dr. Pell pretty well, and uh, he's, he's absolutely brilliant man. Um, I've only met Mr. Yeah. White once and it was just you know in passing, I met him at a, at a conference or seminar or something. i am bob white hi i'm steve zelodowski you know awestruck type thing you know but uh everything i've seen of him and all the things that he does positively for you know the the royal family kids camp and you know i know he just beat cancer I mean, he's just he's a class act in everything i see him doing so i'm I'm hoping one day i'll get a chance to have him on this podcast too that'd be great
1: i think you should he's an outstanding man to to sit around and chat with much less get to know in any kind of at any level um and he's just always always a class act um, I know not know what they call the throne wars, which is the, the period after Mr. Parker passed. There was a lot of people just reaching for the highest, loftiest possible position they could. And there was a small little nexus of men that were going, no, I'm just going to hover here for a spell and take it slow and try and hang on to some integrity. And he was right there in the core of that nucleus. And um, I admire the men a lot.
0: I hear the same thing said about him and the same thing said about Steve Labonte, so uh, those are two guys high on yeah. my list to get on this podcast.
1: We should. They're both cool caps.
0: We'll see if we can make it happen. Okay, so we, t- we had, uh, the, those are three absolutely fantastic people to put on that list. So that sounds like it's the first three out of a Mount Rushmore. Who would be the fourth? On uh, your oh, Mount Rushmore of the Martial Arts. Wait, say that again? I said, okay, so... <laughs> You gave me three really big names out of that, right? It sounded like it was going to be a Mount Rushmore-style thing, which is, you know, Mount Rushmore's got four of our greatest presidents on it. So yeah. <laughs> who would be on your Mount, Ru- Mount Rushmore of the martial arts? Uh, let's, let's, do, let's do it this way. Who's on Mount Rushmore They're of Kempo? They're alive
1: or gone. Uh, it can be <laughs> okay. at any point from history. So
0: Mount Rushmore of, of Kempo, because you got three out of Kempo, we may as well do four out of Kempo. And then who is Mount Rushmore in the martial arts? So that opens it up to everything.
1: Oh geez, this is gonna be a hard one, isn't it? Because that means you got to leave people out, and that's the hard part.
0: I love the softball questions, man. Got to, you know, it's just got to drill them in there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'd say the soft, the, the Rushmore of campus for me would be, it's not just enough to be good. I think it's important to be a um, a good person, and I think there's a lot more good people out there than I've met. Um, but it's just going off the guys that I've met, I'd have to I'd have to expand it to five, and it would be. Ron Chappelle, Bob White, Steve Labonte, John Sepulveda, and Rich Hale. And I know there's a lot more out there. They're just, they're not people I've, I've gotten to no, know, right? These, these folks, even when it's been minimal, um, what they've done so well is to preserve a dignity of character that can be sparse in the, the Kenpo community. A um, rush more in the martial arts. I would definitely stick William Chow and Parker in there. Um, probably... Morihei Shiba, and I think just because I really love the way they train at put Masayama and the Kyokushin Kai up there.
0: Ooh. It. Okay, so run that back for us. What are the, the four? Yeah, Masayama, Morihei Shiba. Yeah. there we go. And Let's then, try then, that again.
1: You know, that guy. How are you? you got to go blah, 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 blah before you say it and then <laughs> just hope you get it right. Um, Professor Chow and Edmund K. Aloha Parker.
0: That is a who's who indeed.
1: It's, it's, it's definitely an influential group for, for the way my thinking goes. Um, I think you know, Mr. Parker did a fantastic job of putting together a very comprehensive system um, and a series of definitions and whatnot. And I think Professor while well, he didn't have the systematized version that Parker did. He was just a beast. And all of, sort of the, the movement signatures that define Kenpo in terms of you know these semicircular, circular, and, and linear motions all interspersed and peppered with each other were really typified in in this man, and I can only imagine that if he just went off on somebody, would be really really bad for that somebody. Um, and the Kyokushin Kai, I love it. You know, we were over here doing one of the fellows I bounced with was a, a Yodan in Kyokushin Kai from the Eastern Bloc um, before kind of the wall came down. I was one he snuck out of Poland, was working around here, and while we were over here sparring with gloves and going for points and this kind of stuff, they were over there doing knockout tournaments You know where I always picture the Flintstones. They had the Flintstones cartoon that have fight nights and it was two guys scored off against each other with clubs and they would just take turns going bonk 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 hitting each other in the head with clubs. And the Kyokin kai fights were much the same. These guys are gonna punch and kick each other in the head and the gut until somebody falls over and can't fight anymore and then ta the guy left standing is the winner. Um, and I thought that took some that took some stones. And then in the event of a tie they would do things like who can kick through the most baseball bats right? And they weren't Laid out like when we do a tricking a breaking trick here in the states, we might use you know sandstone capstones and and spacers with pencils or something like that. And we put a little pad on it so we don't scrape our knuckles up. And in the Kyokushin world, they would just take their shins and ram them through a stack of bats. And it's like, okay, I broke ten, the other guy broke twelve, that guy wins. You know, now <laughs> uh, that that's that's pretty hardcore. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: No you know. kidding.
1: I kind of admire that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you got Masayama and his routines with the bulls, too, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, and just, he's just a tough old cuss, you know. And Yoshiba, most people were exposed to him in his later years. In his younger years, he was quite the stoic little badass. Um, in, his, in his later years, even though some people didn't, you know, like what he was doing with it, what I thought was brilliant is he started blending and merging psychospiritual development with his martial arts. Um, and some people say, well, that kind of weakened his arts. So and that's kind of like, well, yeah, yeah, but if you look at the, the last videos taken of this guy, and <laughs> you say, okay, here's a stick. Oh, I'll hand a stick this NFL offensive lineman and say, hit that old man with a stick and I'll give you a million dollars. And it, it's not going to happen. You know, you're going to be <laughs> swinging all day and land on your ass. Um, and I think that, that merge of body and mind represents a level of development, skill, Achievement that most of us will never know in our lifetime, and I think had he not Dipped into the spiritual end of, of the arts. he never would have touched it so.
0: That is truly a who's who list there yeah. And I, I really I like how you tied back in uh, Isheba into the spiritual and you know Basically that's it's on some level. It's a form of neuro hacking so it's, you know, right into where you were talking about earlier Yeah,
1: yeah. I think of you know one of the, the groups of, of people that i studied over the years. I I tracked down a bunch of Native American medicine men and shamans. And I said, okay, what are you guys doing that's getting results? Because people would go to them for things that were, you know, lost causes. Um, and they'd do their ritual and spit on them and blow smoke and whatever the heck, and, ta, ah, they're fixed, right? I'm like, okay, how, how did you do that? That is an interesting phenomena and a really amazing result. What did you do? And it sort of opened up a whole other can of worms about using things like NLP and hypnosis for psychospiritual development that you can turn right around and do it. So it's not just development for development's sake. It's like now that we start knocking on some other doors within the human psyche, some other capabilities within our neurology, it's part of neurohacking, hacking right? Because I think we open new parts of the mind as we continue to grow. And now that I've tapped into these new territories, what happens if I turn right around and reapply them back to my martial arts? What kind what can I do for my Kenpo if i'm I'm coming at it with new files in my brain open that weren't open before? Um, so yeah, I think it fits right in with the neural hacking. So, good catch.
0: That's I mean, it. Just stuck with me right there since we were talking about it earlier. <laughs> uh, I'm glad I actually made you look at something you hadn't looked at before. You know, point for me, yay. Yay.
1: <laughs> Points all <about>
0: <laughs> Okay, so let's let's go into uh, another aspect of this whole big giant martial arts puzzle, uh, you know puzzle here. So you started martial arts in Hawaii been through traditional styles been through quote-unquote non-traditional styles got into neuro hacking on multiple different areas of it and then are now applying that into your next place where you're going which is your your development of uh what is going to be taught in your lineage as well as how you're trying to help the entire Kempo community then later on to the whole martial arts community it's a hell of a big project man
1: yeah but somebody's got to do it don't they
0: how are we going to get that Somebody done?
1: To be the first guy to, yeah, somebody's got to be the first guy to, to break the four-minute mile. And I, and I think we get in we get in a run. I'll see these guys that are strutting around and wearing 10th degree blacks, not just in Kenpo, but in other styles as well, whether it's a real one or a made-up one. And they've been doing the same handful of stuff for you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And, yeah, they're good at it. There's no doubt about that. But when you watch a movie, can you do it better? And if you could do it better, what would that look like? And I just keep seeing the limitations that people have embraced as a definition of who they are. And what's intriguing to me is this idea that if we if we stop identifying with the predisposed definitions we've used in the past, right? I am this. Dave Crouch is this guy. This is who I am. If I stop telling myself that story, who can I become? And this this transformational aspect, you know, I was like working with you know work with clients. I tell them we break our chains by growing out of them. You know, um, get so big that the old definitions of who you were don't count anymore. And this kind of transformational process, I think, can take all of the martial arts to a level of skill and applicability that it has not seen before. Um, I, I poked my head in the karate studio last night, and I was watching these little you know like 105 pound late teen early 20 girls wearing green belts throwing kicks that would not move anyone if I held up a piece of paper and said kick this out of my hand they probably couldn't even hit the piece of paper and they're yet they're at a rank that 30 years ago you didn't get it unless you had a lot of blood sweat and tears and blah 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 blah. you know so it's like does that mean it's all deteriorating no it means we have different reference standards And I don't think bringing back old reference standards will necessarily take us to new ground. It will just take us to an old new, Mm -hmm. you know. And if we want a new new, then we have to say, again, let's take a good, honest snapshot of where we are right now. And then let's use our best creative, projective imagination skills to go when we're better, when when we can take a look back 20 years from now at how good we were and say, what were we thinking? You know, we thought we were badasses and we were fools, right? What are we doing different? If that's who we are 20 years from now, what is making us 20 years better? And I I think if we can start raising the bar, breaking that four-minute mile, then we'll start seeing more and more people break that four-minute mile and more and more people start embracing models of training that push performance. Uh, You know, years ago there was this cross-training influence in athletics where if you were a a sprinter – there was a school of thought that said the only way to be really good sprinter is to get out on the track and sprint. And so all we're going to do all day is wind sprints. So you're just going to run around the track, take a break, run around the track again, and the coach is going to yell at you to do better. And then someone said, gosh, what if we cross-train? What if we take these sprinters and we have them doing squats and lunges and all these other core and leg strengthening exercises? Although the chest isn't connected to the legs, it's connected to the guy who owns the legs. So why don't we develop chest, arms, shoulders, back, you know, And then the sprinters that started hitting the track no longer looked like scrawny long distance runners. They started looking like these buffed-out bodybuilder studs, right? And they started breaking more and more records. And that cross-training notion is something I think if we apply, if we make mental applications a necessary component of cross-training the martial arts, that we can improve, it'll start small, but like a snowball, we can improve everyone's Placement and skill level in the martial arts globally. Um, I probably won't be alive to see it, you know. Um, But I would like to see that girl who's a green belt who would just miss the piece of paper, be able to use her toes to pierce a hole in that thing as a white belt. And I think if we start doing mental application cross training, that that's achievable. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. (laughs) You know, cross training and anything helps out. As far as I'm concerned. As long as you know what you're cross training in is, is knowledgeable uh, you know cross training right, like underwater right. basket weaving as a as a goal to you know make your your reverse punch better is probably not going to be your your best bet on you know bang right. for buck um, but unless you know you're long as it's reverse
1: punches underwater
0: yeah <laughs> i mean unless it's you know applicable to what you're doing in some capacity you know <laughs> right right but you know a principle is sound so since yep. we're cross training that kind of stuff we're talking about mentally uh, how about a couple of books that have influenced you that maybe we could have our readers take a look at, or sorry, our listeners take a look at, so they can read and get some benefit from it?
1: <laughs> um, I think probably one of my favorite on, on hypnosis as a tool for potentiating other than conscious resources is one by a psychologist named Stephen Gilligan, and it's called Therapeutic Trances. And what he does is to do an, a really nice summary of the fundamentals of NLP, and he kind of goes, Here, you know, here's a, a basic snapshot of what NLP looks like. And he goes a little bit into what Ericksonian hypnosis looks like. And then he goes into kind of the, the the nature of the unconscious mind and how it compartmentalizes capabilities and limitations positionally. It's like, you know, if I'm standing at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, I have a certain view. If I'm standing at the top of the Grand Canyon, I have a different view. It's the same hole, but where I'm standing, and it changes... My view changes my perspective, and when I'm in different locations, I have different, pick, you know, different possibilities. If I'm at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, I can't jump in. That option is just simply not available to me because of the position I'm occupying. Um, so when we want to change, if we want to change performance, we have to change that position. And he goes into a lot of. It's a hard book to read because you start. For me, at least, I kept drifting off into trance <laughs> I'm reading. it. So that's therapeutic trance. Like, oh wait, wait, what are they? Yes, Therapeutic Transit by Stephen Gilligan. It's a fantastic book. Um, uh, probably Solutions by Leslie Cameron Bandler. Yeah. Um, that was another excellent one. Good summary Good summary of NLP. And uh, initially, I would say if you had to do two reads, do those. Solutions gives you a general overview of NLP. Through, oh, one more would be Maps and Models of the World. And I can't pronounce the last name. Colastery or something like that. Of the, of the two, Malatesta and Cholesterra, Malatesta, of course, or something like that. Um, maps and Models of the World is another one that gives you here's the, here's the basic personality theory behind neuro linguistic programming and how it can be applied to creating new maps and models of the world. And as you create a new map and move in, it's like if you don't like the house you're in, build a new house next door, and move in, right? Now you're in a better house. Why stop now? Keep going. Build a better house, move in. Build a better house, move in. Build a better house, move in. And that's kind of the underlying philosophy and process of. Constant never-ending performance improvement, right? that so you can always get a little bit better You can always do 5% more maybe you can't do 100% more today Your body might have to make some adaptations, but you can always do 5% more And if you start breaking through those things build a new house move in build a new house move in um, And that, that book is fantastic So Google giving kind of this
0: Google says maps models in the structure of reality NLP technology and psychotherapy By Linda Malatesta. Linda Malatesta
1: see what I'm saying, and what's the second name?
0: Kim Costeri, or Coster, I'm not sure exactly See, how to pronounce it.
1: Right, right, yeah. I, I can't pronounce them either. I've owned the book like for years. Um, but yeah, that would be another must read.
0: Cool. Uh, I'm going to put a couple of links on, uh, when I when I actually publish this podcast, I'm going to have a couple of links out there. So, you know, when we're talking about these things, you'll be able to go find them and get them. Perfect. I like so it. So, I got that one, I got uh, the first one you said, which was Therapeutic Trances. I got Maps, Model, Structure of Reality. What was the third one?
1: Solutions,
0: and, and who that is that by? Is by?
1: Leslie, Leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E, Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N Dash Bandler, B-A-N-D-L-E-R.
0: Solutions: Enhancing Love, Sex, and Relationships by Leslie Cameron Bandler. Yep. Cool. I'm making my list another, of books here.
1: Yeah, another great foundational read for understanding the the theoretic background behind how and why NLP works.
0: Cool. Uh, if we can uh, get people to read some of them, it'll help them out along their journey, right?
1: Yeah, it will, definitely.
0: Okay, so that'll, and, and, uh, that and all of those will tie into everything else we've been talking about today, so that's good. Yeah. Oh, here's a fun one. Um, <laughs> my buddy A.C. Wiley gave me a, a list of questions because uh, one of his degrees happened to be in journalism. So okay. uh, he gave me a, a list of uh, great questions to help us out on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> If you met A.C. at all or the man some, in the hat, you know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, some zingers coming.
0: So here's a fun one for you. So I'm just starting out and you've got five minutes to teach me something that I'm going to practice for the next month. What do you teach me?
1: Lead hand, check, rear hand, rear hand, overhand right. Push the guy's hands down or against his own body with that front hand and your rear hand. comes screaming out of a high back 40 and bust his nose all over his face.
0: I love this podcast because everybody I ask, I get different ideas out of. It's great. (laughs) It is great.
1: I I worked with a guy when I was bouncing who that was his his one move. That was it. That was all he did. He didn't have a whole bunch of sneaky moves, nothing really incredible, nothing really amazing. But he had done it so many times, and all he worked was that overhand right. Like he'd go home and he'd go throw like 100 on a speed bag, just kind of diving into it with everything he had. And uh, he burst so many noses. I believe it. That front porch—it wasn't even funny. They just—they explode like a, a pop in a grape, you know.
0: Okay, cool. Al, I'm gonna work on an overhand right now, just to make sure. <laughs> Brilliant. So don't be, don't uh, be surprised if I greet you that way when I see
1: you. Push <laughs> <laughs> my hands, my chest, break my nose. No, I'll, I'll just i I'll, <laughs> I'll just throw a grape at you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's nice. Thank you. <laughs> I get, uh, I get to keep my nose. I'm very happy.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, Otherwise, I'd have the wife coming at me and that wouldn't be any fun at all. You know, I, I don't want to deal with that.
1: <laughs> no. no. She's vicious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So who's the most significant person in your martial arts journey that was not one of your instructors?
1: Most significant in my martial arts journey is not one of my instructors. Probably Milton Erickson.
0: Okay. Now you got to tell us is how it, that's influential to your martial arts journey.
1: Um, Erickson's model of the unconscious mind was that it was linked to an unidentifiable unending source of creativity and um you know mr parker in mental applications referred to the the super learning book and where they use the phrase the super conscious mind you know referring both to the the highest part of our own mentation but also that there's a level in which you know kind of like all the minds share the same tv wave right and you can tap in that wave you have access to endless creativity
0: and what he would often
1: do is put people in the pickle and the only way out is to find a new solution and that new solution seeking would cause them to, you know, if you want to stay with the notion of like, the, or the, the metaphor of there being a lot of different rooms in the mind, it would cause them to start trying a bunch of other doors really fast and when they realized they didn't have a door yet that worked, they would have to look sort of outside themselves, so to speak, to find a new door um, and what I haven't bumped into yet, utilizing his methods is an end to the creative nature of the human spirit Anytime I ask people to try a little bit harder and find a new way and I'm, I don't let up, they do. And that, uh, you know, when, when I when I work out, I don't like sitting there, okay, I'm going to go through all the techniques of extensions. I'm going to go through all the sets. I'm going to go through this form ten times. I'll pick, like, a move, like, you know, stepping forward and right right your bowl, the right inward block. And I'll do that over and over and over, tasking myself to go 5% more, 5% more, 5%, more, 5% 10% more, 10% more, 10% more. 10% more. And I just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And when I get to the point where I hit a plateau, instead of quitting, I'll go kind of deeper into my movement trance, moving hypnosis. And the answer is in there somewhere, or out there somewhere, or wherever we're putting our, focusing our attention. And I'll lean on it until it gives in, the answer goes, okay, if you're really serious about it, here's what you have to do to get that next 5%. I like, go, okay, cool, and I break through a barrier, and I'm in new territory, and I love that experience, that feeling, that exploration. And it's also knowing that there is not an end to the creativity of human endeavor. I feel like let's just keep pushing this this envelope, push this envelope even further still and see where it takes us. And I would not have had that notion or that understanding or that sense of human consciousness and its ever-creative capacity had it not been for Dr. Erickson's teachings.
0: Okay, so now by this point in our interview, I'm hoping everybody else is piqued their curiosity as I am so some of these videos you're working on are basically going to be boiling down some of the really uh, heady concepts the really intellectual concepts into what we can put into drills and have them be used to help maximize our performance for martial arts purposes so is there anything that you can give us through you know this auditory piece is there a drill that you can walk us through that might help us get the idea of what this is going to do for us this is called a teaser, by the way, ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> yes, you can. Pick a move. You can do this with one move, then two move, and then try it with a couple of move ones. Um, I would suggest first something like stepping into a neutral ball with an inward block. Something that's a relatively simple thing. Do it a couple times. Close your eyes. And with your eyes closed, do it a couple times and, and see what you're doing with your mind's eye. right? See your hand as it travels through space. Feel the... the what's going on in your body as your heel hits the ground behind you, you know. Um, and do that a few times with your eyes closed so that you have an internal mental tape of this move at this speed, right? And then in your mind, before you do the physical move, turn it up a little bit. Turn it up like 3%. You don't have to go big at first. Just get the hang of how to do it. And then in your mind's eye, not actually moving your body yet, see what it's like when you do this 3% faster, better, stronger, bigger, bigger, better, better now, right? at that 3% mark and watch that a few times in your mind's eye and then do it with your body. Do it with your body so that what you're doing with your body matches exactly what you're doing in the video in your mind. If there's some part of you that doesn't exactly match the video in your mind, you're doing it wrong and change it to match your mental video. And do that until you get that, you get it matched. My body is now doing what my mind. Picture it should be doing at 3% better. And then crank it up another 3% and do that a couple times in a row. As you do it, you'll start noticing things shift. Things like normally when I step back in the neutral ball, I kind of lead with my heel, but now I'm leading with my. I drop my butt cheek first, so there's a spring in my knee or something. So there'll be all these little tiny subtle changes that take place as people as you start making this improvement. And you can do that for one move. You can do it for like a two moves. Start with something like a jab cross combination, go on the heavy bag, whap whap Do it a couple times with your eyes open. Do it a couple times with your eyes closed. What would this be like if I was 3% bigger, better, batter now, you know, stronger, faster, the whole routine? And see it in your mind a couple times while you're just standing there, and then start doing it with your body again. So what you're doing with your body matches exactly what you're doing with your mind when you're 3% better. And then just keep pushing that envelope. See what happens. And get the feel for finding the mind-body connection that allows you to see it at another level, and then do it at another level. See it, hear it, feel it. Right? What do I see? What do I say to myself? How do I move? Where in my body do I feel those motions? And then take that next, right? And just keep turning that volume knob a little higher and a little higher, a little higher, so the intensity keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And what you'll start finding is your body is absolutely, perfectly capable of making adaptations to meet the expectation. And if you say I want this,
0: to so turn it up to eleven.
1: Yes, exactly. If ten was your best, go to eleven. And when you, what I've done with people, I've done 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. I go, now we're on a new knob, and instead of 15 out of 10, it's 15 out of 100. Now what does 16 look like? right? And there's a whole lot more room for performance at this point. Um, and, and give that a shot. Start making that mental connection about pushing yourself a little harder to get a little better and trusting your unconscious mind to show you what it looks like, sounds like, and feels like when you do it well, when you do it right you're not just trying to be somebody else's thing you're cranking into it, you're leaning into it and your unconscious mind is going we'll be more stable if we do this right? and people will have a tendency to sort of stumble onto some of the same things that some of our, our performance, our biomechanic heroes have been preaching all along because some of these performance parameters are, are pretty well constants in the human frame um, and it was you know, the more people change the more they start looking alike um, especially in the upper tiers and that's something you should be able to plug away at pretty, pretty easily. All you need is a heavy bag, and if you don't have them, just air.
0: But it's constantly looking for that little bit more each time.
1: Correct. Just, learning to look for those little tips that your unconscious mind will send you. If you even, I mean, you can pose it a little question: What do I have to do to be three percent better, three percent bigger, better, batter now? You know, and your unconscious go, try this, try flexing this hip muscle before you do the step. You know, and it'll be little tiny things like this, and go. Oh, hey, that really made a difference.
0: So, nice. Okay, so. So, part of that is going to entail that sticktivness, that that persistence, and uh, that motivation to try to keep working on that, and correct. Pretty much everybody that is taught in martial arts for any length of time it will tell you a, a similar uh, a similar piece of information around. You know perseverance and commitment those are the absolute two hardest things to find in a student to keep them motivated to keep them you know moving forward because ultimately that's a couple of things you really can't teach you can't teach somebody perseverance you can't teach somebody motivation you might be able to help them find it within themselves but ultimately it's got to come from them so what tips do you have that we can help our students find those motivation pieces within themselves
1: all of these states exist in us somewhere. There's something in NLP called anchoring, which is really just conditioning. You know, there's that, that Pavlov's dog thing where they squirt some meat powder in his mouth and the dog salivates and they ring a bell. And they squirt some meat powder and the dog salivates and they ring the bell again. And they do this often enough that salivating and ringing the bell become linked, they become connected. And then pretty soon, even without the meat powder, all you have to do is ring the bell and the dog starts salivating. So you can have the person have the student access or find within themselves a previously experienced perseverance or commitment. You know, you want to see perseverance. Have you ever had to go to the bathroom and can't find one? Right? Do you quit? (laughs) Keep moving, you keep knocking on doors, you keep looking for that Johnny on the spot that's been left on a construction site somewhere. You start getting creative. You start getting you start getting, you know, resourceful in, in in your attention. Um and you're very persistent about it because nobody wants to, you know, shite themselves in a, whatever well, <laughs> public wherever the hell they are. Um, so that you're going to say, ask them questions, and ask them. The, revivification is the term we use for asking so many questions that cause them to re-experience the experience as they had it at the time. So, have you ever had this experience? And they go, Yeah. Okay. I mean, what did it feel like in your body? How did you know you had to go? How did you know you had to go now? And then, as you see their body kind of start to shift as they're accessing the memory and thinking about what the answer is so they can respond to you, reach over and do something like clamp them on the shoulder or snap your fingers, right? And that becomes the ding and the salivation. So your snap or you're grabbing them, you know, putting a supportive hand on their shoulder, it is the bell and the state they're experiencing is the saliva from the meat powder, right? So you just keep asking more and more detail about the last time you felt really committed. What's the last thing you were committed to so much so you couldn't stop? It was like a compulsion. But the more you thought about it, the more you did it, the more you had to. And as they go into that space, you, you snap, you, you ring the bell, whatever your bell ring is going to be. It can even be something you do to yourself. You can reach up and pick your own nose as they're going inside. Picking your nose becomes that ding, right? Um, so have them go inside, and while they're inside, anchor it, you ring the bell, whatever that bell ring is you want it to be. You know, something we do in Campo naturally in martial arts period is tighten our bells, You're going to grab one end, grab the other, and go yoink real quick. So that can be your trigger. When was the last time you felt absolutely compelled to do something? It just took you over your, your mind, your body, your hour, your days, and you couldn't pull yourself away. Yoink. <laughs> right? You straighten it up. Ooh,
0: that's a good one. So um, have them do that at the end of meditation and beginning of class. Yes. Ooh, that's a really good one. I'm stealing that.
1: Richard Bandler, the, the, one of the NLP co-founders, had a great one. He said, have you ever seen something you had to have, something when you saw it, you said, yes, I need that now? Well, look up here, because what we're going to talk about now is, right, <laughs> nice. go, a room right and now they gotta have whatever the hell he's talking about um he relayed a story about what it was like to be a kid staring into the glass window at a toy he just really wanted that toy he knew he had to have it and the way you understand language is by unpacking it to similar experiences so now everybody in the audience is picking a memory out of their own personal biography going I remember wanting something that bad and then I go okay now let's talk about it. and they're, they're all going from compulsion gotta have it to the topic at hand um, and they bleed over so that's there's awesome. things We can do to get you know Yeah, tap pe- tap into people's compulsions tap into their desires and then attach it to the long-term outcome you have for them as a trainer um, Now that we know what it's like to feel compulsion. Let's dig deeper right? and I love it. go Okay
0: <laughs> Love it Okay, so let's do a couple of uh, just quick fun easy ones since I gave you the real hard softballs earlier I'll give you the giant beach ball to hit now <laughs> You could have a conversation okay. with anybody from history or the present. Who would you have that conversation with other than somebody we've already talked about?
1: Oh, man. Um, I prob- probably wouldn't be able to speak their language, but with one of the earliest Homo sapiens.
0: Interesting. Why? Tell me more.
1: <laughs> I think it represents kind of the ultimate transformationalism where you start looking at something that pushed a species enough to change. Someone had to be the first. Someone had to be the second. Someone had to be the third. What pushed you? What happened to compel you to create this shift? Um, you know, was it climactic? Was it decisive? Was it you know experiential? Was it simply in a response to a, a beleaguering environment? Um, I think when we're compelled to make major transformations personally, there's something both outside of us that's pushing it and something inside of us that's pushing it. And I like exploring something I call intra-generational evolution. So rather than saying you know, evolution is going to happen over millennia to these what can I do within myself that will cause me to become a better or a different person than I am now? Um, if change is the only constant, what's next? Right. Nice. And I would be I would be curious to know what that looks like for. One of the first members of a new species.
0: I have never thought about it in that capacity before. That is, is (laughs) once again, man, you just blew my brain out there. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, that's a good thing. I never would have thought about it in that context, but that, I mean, that literally made me sit there and go, wow, that would be an (laughs) interesting (laughs) conversation, you know, presuming obviously to get past the language barrier.
1: yeah yeah or lack of language whichever
0: yeah whichever way that goes but as long as we can communicate that's going to be a real interesting discussion
1: right. bring a chalkboard so. and some bones i don't know <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> yeah i don't think they had oreos back then either so you know
1: no darn it or beer
0: oh yeah no beer bummer <laughs> all right so here's another uh, another one for you for the same in the same kind of vein you know in the perfect world scenario where you've got everything taken care of and you've got open availability, open whatever. If you could set a week-long schedule to train with whomever from whatever time period you wanted to, what do you take Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and who do you train with?
1: Uh, I suppose I'd probably set the mornings aside for training with Chow and the evenings aside for training with Mr. Parker.
0: You're going to be really tired.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to be a hell of a week.
0: Oh, absolutely. i come
1: out of that with a... a much different perspective on Kenpo than I have now, that's for sure.
0: Absolutely. All right, so what does your future hold?
1: Uh, dinner. Just don't call me late for dinner and I'm good. Um, I think principally, you know, I'm, I'm, I've am i made a shift kind of out of chiropractic. I loved being able to help create changes in people's lives by helping them change their health. Um, but the third-party payer system is just killing private practitioners, you know, of, of all disciplines. And it's just, it, it's moving away from being profitable and enjoyable to being a task. And I never wanted it to be a task, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of stepping out of that and stepping back into integrative transpersonalism, which is, for me, combining or applying, I should say, functional medicine to this, which is you know they would call integrative medicine if you start combining different disciplines, um, functional medicine, functional neurology, and applying them to helping people take the steps that walk them on a path of personal transformation. You know, there's this, this, this bullet phrase that's used often in some of the NLP sessions um, where you say, if this wasn't a problem for you anymore, who would you be? What would you do next? Yeah. And, and when we find out in detail who a person would choose to be when they were no longer struggling with the things that are on their plate now, then we have an action plan to propel them into that future. He tells them, tell me all the things you'll do in the course of a Monday morning. And this isn't an issue for you anymore. And we write it out. We go, okay, good. Get out of my office and go do this. You know, And their nice. brain does this internal consistency thing where it goes, wait, if I'm doing these things, then I must be that person. And the transformation, the change, and the shift starts to take place naturally and intuitively. And instead of becoming a specialist in their problem, they become a specialist in living the solution. Um, and I think as a biohacker, as a neurohacker, as an integrative practitioner, we have to say that's the food they eat, that's the thoughts they think, it's the movement that they give their body, and it's the, the preoccupations which falls back into the thoughts they think. You know, What are you preoccupied with? And if we can get people on eating and supplementation plans that help push them to the goals they want, if we could get them engaged in mental activities that help walk them down that golden path trail, you know, um, and if we can get them starting to move in ways that are consistent with it, you'd be surprised I do hypnosis with people, I'll drop somebody into a a, a light trance and say, okay, I want to talk to the part of you that's responsible for generating this problem, the piece of your unconscious mind that's making this an issue and their whole body changes, their breathing changes, their posture changes, the facial tone changes and it looks like I have another person sitting in the chair, matches the same general description but it's another person. And if we have this multiplicity within, then I want to kind of specialize in helping people wake up the part of that multiplicity that gets them to where they want to be. And that involves more than just cracking backs.
0: I salute your efforts, sir. I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with. As am I. (laughs) (laughs) Well, while we're on that subject, let's let's get some opportunities in here for you. So if anybody wants to contact you, how do they get a hold of you?
1: My website is neurologics.com, as we discussed. It's N-E-U-R-O-L-O-G-I-X-X. Um, I can also be reached at that same email, neurologics at gmail.com. Um, I have my phone numbers also on the website. I'll spare the cod-past cod past people, the podcast people, from hearing it if they don't want it. Um, you can find it on the website if they're interested. Um I have a couple of books that I'm working on, all kind of simultaneously. I have a tendency to go from project to project before they're done and then release about 10 at once. Um, So I have some books on using hypnosis for personal development and for kind of of spiritual growth and transpersonal gain, that whole notion of becoming the you for whom this isn't a problem and how to use hypnosis and NLP to generate that effect. I have the, the Kenpo and NLP Neurohacking book, Coming out soon, along with the videos that will support it. Um, So there'll there'll be the book. But if you ever tried to learn how to do a technique from a written description alone, it's almost impossible. Um, And it's the same with NLP. If I if I just write simply, here's the steps you do, people are going to go, Aru But if once they see it on like you know a video that's linked on YouTube or something like that, they go, oh, I get it. And they'll be able to do it with themselves, with their students. Um, So that's coming out as long as as well as a couple of other items too.
0: And all of that will be available yep. through announcements on your website. Um, I, you're on Facebook, too, I believe, if people search for you that way.
1: Yep. We have a Neurologics website. Um, as projects come out, I'll be, be announcing them there, discussing them there. I also like dedicating Facebook pages to a specific topic. So we're going to have a Kempo on NLP Facebook page where it's simply for people to log on and say, you know, hey, I'm having a hard time creating a result. What else can I do? Am I doing this right? Well, how can I clean it up? Um, and we'll, you know, respond to them there for people to share their experiences. Hey, I tried this. This is what happened. I made this much change in this period of time. Or I tried it. It didn't work. You know, if that's the case too, let me know because there's some other tweaks and twists we can do to, to make it more personalized, you know. Um, so, yeah, those will be coming out for kemp and nlp and for each one of the projects as, they're, as they come up on the Neurological website. We'll have Facebook pages that mirror them.
0: And all that will be linked through the website for people who are part of the program. So, Correct. All righty then. How about what message would you like to send out to our listeners? Keep pushing
1: the envelope. You know, I, it's, there's security in predictability, and I think one of the tendencies we have as human beings is to say, you know, I've got my corner of the pie, I'm good. And for me, I go, okay, well, what if you started looking at the next pie over, or other parts of the pie you're on, right? I think you know, we we have one life. Let's make it a very interesting one. And one of the ways to do that is to constantly be exploring both the outer universe and the inner universe. Um, It can be a scary place, but it's not a bad place. It's just where we are and where we live and where we actually come from is the space within. Um, And so just explore that inner space, explore your outer space. And learn, learn, learn. Learn, damn it, learn.
0: Well said, sir. I want to thank you very much for taking this time out of your day for me. I really appreciate having you on the podcast. And I'm suspecting it somehow we're going to have to do a part two. Yeah, i'll be ever so disappointed for that right
1: (laughs) (laughs) right thank you very much for having me it's been a lot of fun
0: i always enjoy talking to you sir class act appreciate everything
1: brilliant have a great night
0: you too sir have a good one
1: bye
0: yep dr crouch is one amazing guy he's an accomplished martial artist and a dedicated healer nlp is a facet of, of psychology that came into the light in the 1980s and is really picking up some traction here in the present time He's working on his research documentation for the application of NLP to KEMPO specifically, and not if, but when he proves it works, it'll be exciting to see how we can apply the same ideas across multiple aspects of life. Big thanks again to Dr. Crouch for appearing on this episode. Episode number six is up next. We're going to be excited to bring to the show Shodai Soki, Mr. Mike Anders, talking about his martial art of Hon Hobdo, the You Stay Safe Dojo, and his history in the arts. Mr. Mike has worked with numerous individuals who have personality disorders like the autism spectrum and physical limitations like being confined to wheelchairs. He has a ton of great information and he's one of the most positive people I've met in a long time. I really enjoyed my conversation with Mr. Mike. Tune in next episode to hear his story. Let me see. Oh, yeah. Uh, Find us at www.artistofmotion.com. Subscribe at iTunes at artistemotioncom slash iTunes. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. Same thing for Google Play. It's wwwartistemotioncom Google Play. Find us on Facebook, Artist of Motion. Email pod at artistemotion.com. You know the routine by now. I think that's about it for this one. I'm Steve Zalazowski. Catch you next time on the Artist of Motion
1: podcast.